Thank you, Sister Linda. We appreciate that thought for the day. Today, as we come together and as she shared, this is the, the last Sunday of, uh, of the year. And uh, we still are in, under the shadows of the Christmas story, certainly, and I uh, have chosen to look in Matthew, the 17th chapter, to share with you a message that the Lord's laid on my heart. I had entitled it, From the Manger to the Cross. I remember a few, three or four years ago, I was being led to preach on the cross, to talk about the cross, the, the, the benefits of it and the horribles about it. And uh, I was thinking, you know, that we as Christians are to keep our eyes on the cross. I know it's empty, but we need to keep our eyes on the cross. And I told Catherine, I said, uh, I think I'll entitle the message Cross-Eyed Christians. She wouldn't let me. But anyhow, that's what we ought to be, right? Use it in the right context. Would you look in your Bible and find Matthew, the 17th chapter? I want to read 13 verses there, beginning at 1. And if you'd please stand for the reading of uh, the story that Matthew has recorded. <clears throat> 17, where you at? Here we go. 17, verse 1, it begins, And after six days Jesus take Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigurated by, before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, for if thou wilt, let us make here thee three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a cloud, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were sore afraid. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when, he had lifted up their eye, when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus alone. And they came down from the mountain, or as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say uh, the scribes, Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Uh, and likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of, of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Would you bow with us once again in a word of prayer? Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you today for this time that we can open your word and just listen to you. That, Lord, may the words be so real in our hearts and minds that would draw us into the realms of your love that we could comprehend just what you want to say. That, Lord, you would bless each of us with your presence and bless us with your guidance as you want to give us each day of our lives. Guide us now, Lord, as we listen to you talk to us through the windows of your word. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. <clears throat> 
One of the things I like to do is certainly go from the manger to the cross with Jesus' life. I like the manger probably best of all, and I know that crosses was necessary. And I often seem to want to pray the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden that day. But Lord, if there had been another way, surely you would have taken it. And Jesus even prayed the similar prayer. But as it seemed like I get near the cross, I want to pray that prayer for Jesus. And yet we knew that he would come and give his life as a working savior and a servant. And he would show the leadership to his disciples that they could carry on uh, the earthly thing that he would have. But as we begin to catch a glimpse of Jesus, you know certainly of the manger scene as we've been through Christmas now, and we follow him on into the age of about 12 as he was in the temple, uh, was uh, lost from his parents, or his parents lost from him actually, uh, for a little while, but yet we know that Jesus would become obedient to his earthly parents, and for some few years, I don't know how long, but some of his teenage years, he would grow under the influence of godly uh, parents that would guide him. I've often tried to think about the life of Jesus and how really it was lived there in Galilee, there in Nazareth, Galilee, actually, in a little town called Nazareth where he would grow up and probably would spend a lot of time with his father in the carpenter shop and learn that trade. And, and I know, though this being the Son of God, we know that God had in mind for uh, Jesus to be the incarnate God, the expressed image that God wanted to show the world that the world couldn't fully understand through the spirits that were thriving and wanted to touch what they couldn't understand. And so that became the Son of God. That became Jesus who would come. And with a prepared message that would bring about that love that God wanted to share with the world. But we know many things preceded the message that Jesus would bring and one of them was certainly his forerunner which was John the Baptist. He would come out of the wilderness. A second cousin of Jesus would come out of the wilderness and proclaim the Son of God that would come. And he shared that day on the, by the banks of the river Jordan, maybe as he stood out in the midst of the Jordan waters, that he said, I am baptizing you with water, but one come after me that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I, you know, it's symbolic of us today. We, we baptize with water, but we know that it is a symbolic thing that we do, that we realize that the baptism of the Holy Spirit has already taken part of our lives as a, as a saved soul. And we have already come into the realms of God's love in sort of dramatic way, in such a wonderful way that we want to say to someone else, let me show you what Jesus has done. And I think the symbol of baptism is just exactly that. I often look at the word baptism, B-A-P-T-I-S-M, as baptizing a person to illustrate salvation's meaning. And that's exactly what baptism is. And it's a beautiful way to follow in the steps of Jesus as as I picture often in the baptismal services as Jesus walking out into the river Jordan and asking John to baptize him. And John, very reluctant, very feeling of unworthiness to surely baptize the Son of God. And yet Jesus told him that he needed to do that, that he could fulfill the many notes that God wanted to happen. Jesus' ministry would take on a new dimension when he would find out that John the Baptist had been put in prison and he would go back to, to Nazareth, Galilee and, and begin a ministry that would last some, what, three or three and a half years. And he would strive so hard to tell the world what God wanted to say. And as he would choose the 12 men to follow and to lead them, he would instill in them so many qualities of life that would help them when he was gone to share the life that God wanted to show others in the world that they needed to live. 
and how important it is for us to understand how that is. And, and I like the, the first message that Jesus preached was there in Matthew 5, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, as he would preach that. But as we get on over past the sermon that he preached, some about chapter 5, 6, and 7, I think, all written in red, and I love to read it, and you might want to read it again shortly. But it is some things that Jesus wanted to instill, not only in the disciples, but in the folks that would gather around there on the river that day, on the Jordan River, I guess. I'm not, well, it probably was the Sea of Galilee where he would join uh, with a crowd to preach. And I, I've wondered how that, you know, it spoke in a place where he fed 5,000, he fed 4,000. I wondered how 5,000 people could hear Jesus standing on the shore. I want to tell you, I found out how. No, they didn't have a PA system. They didn't have loudspeakers set up on stands at each side of Jesus. But you go stand in the near the spot that they declare where Jesus may have stood on the Sea of Galilee and you holler out, hey! And you could hear me for a mile. I guess, what do you call it? Acoustics, the whatever of the sound barriers that is there is such an echo out in the valley. And I understood that God had a PA system before man ever dreamed about it. And it was so that Jesus was able to talk to many at the same time. But as we move on through Jesus' ministry, after, uh, after he was baptized by John, the Bible says, and we studied about it in the Sunday school class, how he was led into the wilderness for temptation time. And he overcame because God wanted to show us we can overcome. Uh, it's something that I hear people say, yes, but it was the Son of God. I want you to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man and dwelt among us, and was tempted as we are, and had the choice to say yes or no to that temptation. And God would lead him and bless him. And the Bible says, and after a time that Satan had left him, the angels came and ministered unto him. I, I think about the fasting part of Jesus in the wilderness that day, and one of the things that I recall a lot of times when I think about it, he must have been hungry, and he was physically hungry, but he said to the disciples once when they talked about they needed something to eat. It had been a while since they had eaten anything. But he said, my meat is to, that for, to eat that spiritual food that God has prepared for me. And I know that we need the physical. And just like the physical body needs the food to give us strength to live and to function as we are set as human beings to do so, we have also a need for the spiritual food to function in the spiritual realms of our existence. We need to be able to feed the soul with spiritual food that will give us the strength to do that. And I think we are living in a day, and it seems like sometimes the influence of a Christian is dwindling somewhat, but we have some spiritual malnutrition in the Christian community that I think that we need to address in a very dramatic way. And we do need spiritual food or we're not going to function in the spiritual realms of our existence as God would have us. We need to ask God to feed us, to give us that spiritual food. And we're going to have a, a, a special, wonderful, remembering time with the Lord's Supper this morning. And I'm looking forward to that and I hope you are. But it's this time that though it's, it is in a physical sort of sense that we do that, it is representative of the spiritual food. Jesus said himself to the disciples, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And I thought, oh my goodness, how do we do that? We do that. We really do. We take in Jesus to such an extent that it becomes a part of our physical existence and portrays the soul out in the spirit. And that's who we really are or want to be. Spiritual food. 
Jesus had just shared with the disciples of what it took to be a disciple. He said, it's going to take self-denial, Peter. It's going to take something that sets self aside to do my will, James. John, you listening to me, John? It's going to take that in order to be attentive to our Heavenly Father's will. And I'll show you how to do that. And he did over and over and through parable after parable. Jesus would tell him about that. But the Bible says as we come to our reading today in chapter 17, it says, And in about six days they came to the foot of a mountain. Evidently the rest of the disciples were with them, but he said to Peter and James and John, <coughs> Excuse me, would you fellows go with me for just a little bit? And so he took them as they walked up the side of the mountain. About the time they got to the top, something dramatic happened. And I want to tell you what happened to Jesus in a moment. I want you to listen real close because it's very essential for us to understand what happened to Jesus on the mountain. Yes, the Bible says he was transfigurated. What is transfigurated? It is changed, transformed from what was to what needs to be. And the reason that took place in Jesus' life, the reason his body took on, took on a countenance that they couldn't hardly reckon, he was bright as the sun, the clothes was going white and bright as they could be. You know what happened to Jesus that day on the mountain? Yes, you said, you just said that. He was transfigurated. But something more. He got so close to his heavenly father that it began to show. Have you been there? Let's go there. Let's get close enough to God in the Spirit through, the, through Jesus, our Savior, that it shows. Others can see Jesus in us. We are called to be mirrors of the love of God. And how are you, how have this last year, have you mirrored, got mirrored, a mirror, however you say it, God's love, <laughs> can't get it out. Have you done that? Have you reflected God's love to the world? I've shared it before and the verse stays in my mind a lot of times. In Malachi 3, 3 it says, He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. How does God do that to me? He does it as we realize that the, the furnaces of the refiner of silver is standing there with hot boiling metals. And it begins to boil and to boil and it's foreign matter in it. Not all of it is good silver. Not all of it is prepared to be used as the purified silver, but it will be when the refiner gets through. Someone said, but sir, how do you know when it's through, while the smoke is rolling, while the thing is boiling? How do you know? The refiner so rightly says, as God would say to us today, I know when I can see my reflection in the silver, then it's been purified. I believe today God is looking in our lives, in your life and mine, and to see how the refining fires of his guidance has done for our life, has it been so refined that the world can see the reflection of Jesus in your life? Oh, it must. I love the song, Let Others See Jesus and You Keep Telling the Story, Be Faithful and True. Let others see Jesus in my life this next year more than ever before. Well, they heard voices. Jesus was changed now. His heavenly father had touched him in a dramatic way that a ministry would take hold of him that would last some three or so years. And we can see there that day that as they stood there, it just scared them to death and it would you and I. They fell on their faces as if they were just so terrified. But can you picture Jesus reaching over and laying his hand on Peter? <laughs> he probably should have shattered a little bit. 
And he said, get up, boys. It's okay. I'm still here. Peter jumped to his feet. Oh, Jesus, you said somehow he knew. I don't know how. Somehow Moses and Elias' voice were, were recognizable and alive. You know what's dramatic about that? Moses had been dead for 1,400 years. That seems to tell me that you and I have a promise that's going to carry out one of these days and the realities of love that God has promised. I am going to be recognizable and alive in a thousand years. Moses was. Peter said, my goodness, Jesus, why don't we build three tabernacles, three monuments, three somethings here to, to commemorate this, this happening that took place. One for you, Jesus, certainly. But let's be a one for Moses and Elias also. And so Jesus took them by the hand. I, I don't think that Jesus agreed to do that. But he took them and headed off down the mountain. I don't know how far they got, but before they got to the foot, before where others were at and others could hear, Jesus said, now Peter, James, John, don't tell anybody about this. Just don't say a word about this until it has been fulfilled that I would be able to go to the cross. Why did Jesus say don't tell anybody? Did you ever have anybody tell you some tale and say, now don't say anything about this and it don't take you five minutes to tell somebody? I think it was a challenge to the boys that I, you surely, you're not going to be able to keep from telling this, Peter. It was a challenge to Peter, not a, not a command to don't do that. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but I look at it that way sometimes that Peter just couldn't, they couldn't keep that in. They couldn't contain that, it, their body, their physical and our spirit couldn't hold that inside. And I think sometimes that we ought to be that child of God that is so, so hungering to share the love of God that down in the depth of the soul it's trying to surface and say something about Jesus. I remember as uh, someone about the age of Amanda and or someone even younger, even, uh, uh, even uh, the little slider kids back there. Asher, I was about your age probably, and I'd hear people say something about Jesus in the congregation when the preacher would say, does anybody have anything to say? Well, I remember thinking, I'd like to say something, but it wouldn't. I even got the age of Amanda and I still wouldn't. And I'd head home with my parents sitting in the back seat probably. And I would get the feeling, the awesomest feeling, that something was wanting to be said from the soul and it would just tumble back in and it'd give you a bellyache. Kind of like the word that Ezekiel was called to eat, give him a bellyache. I want to pray that God will give you a bellyache this next year because you have refused or been reluctant to share that love that needs to get out and surface and say something about Jesus. Let's do. Let's let others see what a joy it is to know Jesus, the blessedness of believing in Almighty God. Let's have a good year for Jesus this year because he said we could. He has a bucket of blessings just waiting to pour out upon you if you just let him do that. But as he guides us and as he would guide them that day and they would question, the young man came to him and trying to challenge him in, in the laws that were all rampant in those days. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? I don't know if he would want him to repeat the Ten Commandments or what he would want him to do, but anyhow, Jesus said, 
to love the, the first is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul, and the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. If we could sum up those two commandments and let them guide us through this new year, we'd be ready for God to do what God wants to do in your life and mine. Let's get ready for that. Well, a few short years would, would be there in Jesus' ministry. All he had a lot of years before and still is having years today. He was in the beginning, the Bible says, and he was the person who would be with God as God said, let us make man. He was there, he has been there, he will be there for you. And one of the disciples said, Jesus, you're talking about in parables all of these things, but I want to ask you, when will these things come to pass? As far as speaking of the end of time, that question is relevant today. It's a good question to ask. Jesus answered it quite well. As, in, as was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be, when people will be sinning and, 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 and dining and doing the things that's all off color to God's will. I think we're living in a world that we need to expect Jesus to come. And so the Last Supper was getting ready to be had with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew 24, uh, verses 36 or 26, and on down through some verses there. But as I thought about the Lord's Supper that we had the opportunity to do today, I was reading in Matthew, and I'll share a little bit of those verses in a moment. But Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Symbolic this morning, we will take of the bread of life. As we have already spiritually, let us commemorate that by taking in the physical sense. And Jesus said, if you'll meet the conditions you will experience the results of salvation. What is the condition? Be saved. Come to find Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. And I just want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? How much simpler could it be? I was, had been in the ministry probably two weeks, 34 years ago. Preached a message that I thought just exactly what God wanted me to, and I think it was. And the woman said as he shook, she shook hands, went to the back door and simply said, well, preacher, I just love the simple way you presented the gospel. God help me to have it so simple that even a little child can understand. You pray that I will not complicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel, God offering salvation, presenting eternal life. That's what the gospel is. So, do you know Jesus? Have you been saved? You may not have gotten Jesus anything for Christmas a day or two ago, but it's not too late to give him your life. And you know, sometimes in one day it could be too late. But today is the day to say yes to Jesus. I want to encourage you. Don't say no to a love that will never turn you loose. It will guide you. It will help you. It will lead you. It will be there for you at every turn you take. And life will be more than you can imagine if you let Jesus be a part of it. Would you bow with us in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again for your love that we can know. We thank you, Lord, this morning for the stories that just seems to become fresh and become new again and become a story that can be retold over and over and yet find the newness in the sounds of your love that was shed when you came to earth. The love, Lord, that even took you to the cross. And Lord, this morning as we come to this time of invitation, it's your invitation, Lord, we know.
If there be something here that needs to be done, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be a day of recommitment to our, of our lives to you. Whatever you need us to do, Lord, give boldness in the spirit as we stand before you. In your precious name, amen.